I end up reaching into those addictive tendencies because if I ask why, yeah, yeah, I just I just want to learn. I just want to, no, you know what I really want? I want to be liked, like mm-hmm. not just on the superficial level. Like I want love. That's what I yeah. really want. Yeah. I want recognition. I want meaning. I want worth. I want fulfillment. Like I want all that. And Alan Noble unpacks this in his book, You Are Not Your Own. We've been lied to that we can find all those things in ourselves. We can find love, recognition, meaning, worth, fulfillment. We can find identity fully in ourselves. Just look inward. And I think we very quickly realize that's not true. That's not how you find all of those things. And so the first thing we do to start reaching out is to reach into our pocket. Hello and welcome to What Would Jesus Tech? My name's Andrew Noble, my friend. What's your name? Hey everyone, I'm Joel. And Joel, what did you study at the University of Waterloo over a decade ago? Yeah, more than a decade. I went to school for mechatronics engineering. Sounds super fancy, but it's pretty much robotics. Yeah, so, and you built the Lexus all by yourself. You're the only person involved in that design process. No, I'm just kidding. No, you've worked at some cool companies. You understand tech really well and you understand how technologists and how product managers and how people use design thinking in order to build products uh, effectively. Um, and that's interesting for me. I was only on the product team for a few months when I was at the tech company I was at, um, but I'm in the pastoral world now. My name is Andrew Noble. And here on this podcast, we are trying to help you, the listener, and each other. I'm trying to help myself. I'm trying to help Joel and Joel's. I'm trying to help me. We're trying to help all of us use tech as Jesus would if he were to live today. And I don't think Jesus would be addicted to digital devices. I think he would have rest. And so we're trying to aspire to live the life of Jesus despite the digital distractions. So let's jump right into it and think first about how the digital world addicts us. Um, yeah. And Joel, I think you have some thoughts here that are helpful. Yeah. And I think it's so, I mean, to take a step back, it's like if you're designing a car, like you mentioned, I worked at Lexus, you're thinking about how that handle is shaped, how people open it, how the lighting is, how it directs your attention to different part of the car. Um, you know, it's it's designed around our human body and to allow us to to drive, to be comfortable you know, to do other things. So the designer, the product designers, the engineers, you know, that was their goal, right? Make this enjoyable experience, allow the car to go from A to B. Um, A lot of recent digital products, it hasn't been that you're buying a physical device or something from them, but rather that they need to make money by selling you ads. So they need to learn more about your interests, your hobby, and the one of the fundamental things at the top of the funnel is your attention. The more of your attention we have, the more likely we can make a good conversion and make money. So it's really comes down to money. Yeah. Yeah. That's why people call it the attention economy because the, you, you define an economy by its scarcest resource and what is the most scarce resource right now that the most companies are competing for and making the most money off of it's the gaze of the human eyeball. That's what makes companies money right now. Yeah. So I think with that lens, it's no surprise that there are a lot of people addicted. And, you know, like you mentioned, it had been talked about recently on a documentary. But as we start to 
even think about AI and those type of things, we start realizing that in the future, it's us and machines, us and algorithms. And what is what does that really mean? Um, and what's happened so far with social media really is that a lot of us are addicted. A lot of us can have side effects from that addiction, loneliness, anxiety, depression. Um, but it's really around uh, user-centered design. And maybe I'll give you uh, an analogy. Um, there's a book um, that really talked about design affordances and uh, there's a door and on one side of the door, it's a flat panel. And on the other side of the door, it's a handle. And what ends up happening is as you approach the door on the flat panel side, because you can't grab anything, you naturally create an open palm. And that leads you to push the door from that side because it only opens right. one way. And on the other side, there's a handle, which you naturally grab. And in that grabbing motion, you're more inclined to pull. So the designer of the door has thought about how do we make this product to nudge and cue you in a subtle way to perform an action. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty obvious in a physical product, but in a digital product, it can be um, much more nuanced. They're thinking about, well, how do we keep you scrolling how do we make you click this button and companies put a lot of money into it you can put a full team of seven engineers who get paid more than six figures product manager ux designer um, and all this money is going into optimizing this because there's a lot of money in in it for them so when they make the notification red as opposed to any other color they could have chosen there's a lot of thought that went into, okay, red, more of something that humans associate with danger, more on alert. Like, like there was a decision there, a design decision that would increase the likelihood of the human eyeball gazing and, and then acting. So there's the cue. That's, that's kind of the word you use to describe the first part of how we get addicted is setting up this cue that catches our attention initially to lead us to do more, right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the famous uh, leaders in the space is Charles Duhigg, and he has a book called um, The Power of Habit. And in that book, he very clearly articulates three stages. The first is a cue. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the app notifications because that really is something that I find myself almost having OCD to be like, oh, I have, you know, three notifications here. I have to clear it. And which is why we like... should turn notifications off. <laughs> like, like I, uh, I actually was joined, was invited onto like a family app for just the communication within the family, but I don't have that red badge on because you can turn mm. that off. And so that meant that I wasn't checking it as often but I wasn't out of the loop because I could check it just a few times a week and still get a sense of what was going on. And then, yeah, sometimes I'm commenting a little bit later than everyone else when they're doing like the more live messaging. And it's like, well, maybe for that app, I do want it since it's just family, but I really want to guard against unnecessary notifications, unnecessary cues. I want my cues to be minimal. 
yeah. uh, right? Yeah, and I think that's like one practical step is like, okay, reducing, you, you know when you have this cue, this is what you want to do. So actually the, the term of um, doing it is called the routine. So when I see the notification, I get that cue, my body wants to go and perform the routine, which is clearing that notification, seeing what it is. Um, and the reward, at least for me, the reward is like coming back to that screen. And the third step is, is called reward and seeing that there is no more badge. There's no more alarm clearing that and feeling like, oh, it's clean. Right. And there's a sense of of happiness in that pleasure in that. So mm -hmm. this is really rooted in, you know, behavioral psychology right? It's like, how does your brain work? And this level of thought actually goes into how digital products are made. They'll do, like you mentioned, a red color versus blue color versus, you know, circle and square and triangle. And they do A-B testing. So they'll try one and see, you know, what the effects are. And it goes to that level of intensity and intent really to make the design uh, give you the right cue to follow routine that gives them a reward. Yeah. And, and I remember when I joined my tech company, cause I wanted to make sure I was a good employee on day one. I said, what book should I read? And I got the, how to start a startup book. And of course they're all about testing hypotheses and, and you, you always iterate on your product. That's the idea. According to customer use, not just customer feedback, what they say, but actually the book talks about, no, 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 you, you assess their use and what they're doing. And then you, you manipulate things in order to manipulate user behavior according to the, your desires. And like, are we just Pavlov's dog here? Like, like, is this not just experiments being done on us without us knowing it on social media in order to get us on their app longer? Like, it's kind of wild when we think about it. And I think this is there, our first our first point here in going through this is just to bring awareness and education of what's going on, right? Of of making us understand that yeah, there are these people like you, smart, sophisticated, science driven test testing things in order to bring about revenue for the company. And and I know that in the like. 2000s and even in the early 2010s people working at Facebook and Instagram you know they were thinking they're doing good in the world connecting people making it easier for you to connect with others even at a distance and there's still good that social media can have uh, don't hear us just saying that it's all negative and some of the things that the people working in social media companies they could use those those prompts to teach good and train good um but but yeah there's there's uh there's a tension here um and yeah i mean like it's interesting because i don't want it to sound so sinister kind of like you're saying it's like you know a lot of the intent originally is how do we make the product good to experience how do we make it a good product right we don't want this thing that's buggy and crashing all the time so how these product teams do it is they're actually looking at the logs they're looking at the traces they're looking at on web they're looking at cookies and if you clicked a button and the page crashed or it didn't do what you wanted to do, it leaves a trail of data behind. And then on the back end, at the company side, they look at that data and they're like, oh, like we released this new software version and now 20% of people can't upload photos 
And that's a horrible experience. So we're going to make that better. And we're going to figure out like, well, how can we make it easier to upload photos so that people can share those moments with others? Like, you know, the intent in the original day really wasn't around, okay, how do we get people addicted? And I really don't think it is as bad and perverse as like it's it's commonly talked about even though we we kind of talked about that but it's when you think about how do we monetize people time is one of the things that you look at well and it's just like if you think about facebook it's not just five employees working together it's just a massive organization and so if you're just on the branch of facebook groups trying to work on facebook groups and make them better you're going to want to increase notifications and see your metrics and your department increase. Once an organization gets too big, the, the bureaucracy within it makes it very difficult to say, overall, are we doing good as a company? And all of us struggle with this in our jobs or that, that we really don't think about what our CEO needs for going to the board and what society needs that the board should be working for. We think about just our, our boss and we think about just our department metrics and um, this is where Christians should take a different posture about our approach to the world. We should think about what our company is doing, not just what our department is doing. And we should think about what it's doing to humanity, to the earth, to um, all, all different aspects of the impacts we should be thinking about, even though it's not our department, you know? So to your point, yeah. it's like, you know, they're they're trying to optimize the time you spend on the app. They're looking at these metrics and it's not like, hey, we want to do that because we're trying to get people addicted. It's like, oh, we want to do that because like that makes a product better. And like, it's just like one metric in a giant cog. And I mean, to be honest, like, I think it is good. I want them to think about how to make the product more enjoyable. And I think the onus now actually comes on us to, like you said, be more educated, be more aware and think about like, okay, this is what the machine is going to do. The machine is designed to do this. How do we now become aware of the cues and then think about the routine and reward? And I think actually mm -hmm. we want to talk a little bit more on routine. Um, the theory goes, if you want to like break old habits, what you can do is actually like overwrite that routine. And what I've been doing, for example, um, is like one, trying to reduce cues, but two, when you get a certain type of cue, instead of, let's say, going into the app, um, you have to create something that you'll do instead that also has a reward. Because if you do like some alternate action, but there's no reward right. at the end, it doesn't actually get rewired. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, like, and I'm just going to try to make something up here. But if I get a notification, um, you know, maybe Joel, I, that means I, you haven't done it. You're just making it up. No, I haven't you, rewritten that that one. I've just turned off notifications. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm like going into that kind of settings. Yeah. But but I no, I've heard I've heard that logic before and I've tried that. I, I don't I think of cues in different ways too, because sometimes a cue for me is getting out of bed in the morning and then there's like this, oh, I'm getting out of bed. Oh, what did I miss on Twitter? Or, or what or mm -hmm. oh what are the notifications and so by looking at my phone first thing in the morning and not seeing the notifications that's one but then i would still i was realizing go into each app to see what's going on and so the way that i replaced it was going into the bible app and the reward 
was my Bible app streak that I saw the mm. little metric of, which is, which like, if you say it like that, it sounds like I'm just a Pharisee, but hear me out on this. Sometimes we change our behavior in order to change our heart. Sometimes Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also that sometimes we we change our behavior to help our heart go with the behavior, so to speak. Like even I Psalm think, 103, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. like Psalm 103 talks about like basically the guy's like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, or praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's telling his soul to, to do something. He's telling his heart what to do. And and yes, it's true from earlier in Proverbs that from the heart flows all things. Like I still agree with that, but we can still tell our heart what to do. We can still do what the psalmist does in Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 for that matter. We can do what Haggai 1 talks about in terms of set your heart towards your ways, to consider your ways, to, to set our heart towards it is what the NET translation talks about there. And, and even Jesus, like, Jesus is very clear on the importance of what we do with our attention and what we look at. He cares when you wake up in the morning and you open your phone, what you're doing with your eyes. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. So that we're not, we can't take this simplistic approach of like, okay, if you just believe more in your heart, then everything will be solved. Well, well, you yes, you need to believe that's part of you know what we'll talk about, but you also need to like adjust your behavior, adjust your eyes, um, think about changing your behavior so that your heart will will go with it to to do all things together, not just thinking about inner motivations, not just thinking about behaviors, not just thinking about right attitudes. We think about all of it together and bring all of it under the lordship of Christ. Yeah, no, I think it's. You know, as you you spoke about, it, I was like, that's such a common thing for building habits. Like, let's say I want to go running and, you know, I should run for the enjoyment of running. You know, I should run because it feels good and I know it's good for me, but it's it's sometimes it's hard and I'm just going to run because I'm going to create a streak and I'm going to create this habit. And it takes like I think it says like 28 days to create a new habit. And like in that period, there are going to be times when you're like, OK. I'm just doing this to do it. Um, but it takes effort. And, you know, there's a verse that I think you had reminded me of is Romans 5, verse 3 to 5. And it says, you know, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And I think, you know, it's just like that. It's like you have to work through it to build a new character, you know, to build a new habit. And out of that new character, you know, there is hope that, you know, God obviously enables us to do these things and that through him, we're able to work through, you know, these addictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't, we can't sit, sit back on this and say, well, it's hard to break an addiction. Like, like in, a, in resolving any problem, you got to first admit it's a problem. So like, if you're still listening to the podcast and you're like, okay, I just want to solve my digital addiction now like like how am i going to do it well you first need to say clearly to yourself 
Um, and we were just at a conference this past weekend and I was glad to hear, you know, that one person say, you know, I've tried to delete Instagram and then I've added it back again. I've tried to do it. I tried to do it. I tried to do it. And it's back again. And that's, that's the definition of addiction. And there's actually a medical term now for digital addiction. We won't go into the details of it, but this is this is on the rise so much that there's actually a real category that doctors could diagnose patients with a digital addiction because it's it's so prevalent that it needs its own uh, phenomenology or whatever their fancy doctor <laughs> languages for it. Um, but let's 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 really go practical now. Like let's let's now that we've understood how digital addiction happens and how it's used. Okay, we're starting to think about those three steps of cues, reducing those cues. And then when those cues happen, whether they're on the device itself or in your life, like, let's be honest, some of us, we feel bored or whatever, or we feel like we want some attention. And that's why we go into the device. And so the cues are, are there is a whole assortment of different cues. And so what was it? Cues, reward, no, cue, routine, routine yeah. behavior, or crew, routine, <laughs> reward. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so thinking about those three steps, and it's it's like a cycle, right? So you got to break the cycle at each step, potentially. And it would be great if all of these engineers and designers and people in tech, when they're finding themselves, like myself, finding myself in this addictive state, be like, oh, I'm going to try and think about, rather than spending 10 minutes scrolling, think about what I could do to build something with my technology skills for God, right? Whether it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, starting a podcast or building a new app or, you know, reaching out to a friend and just like talking to someone about it first um, and like bouncing ideas. Like if we could like harness that time that we're wasting and use it for something productive, that would be a big change. And I think if a lot of people started doing that, like we would see, you know, the tides change. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need to change the discourse in terms of just, oh, tech is bad. Christians need to, you know, like there's a there's a broader discussion that we're trying to open up here. Um, so so thinking about the the digital addiction again, I think it's it's like I said before, it's both changing the behavior and changing the motivation. And I think the motivation piece, like Chris Martin has written about this, of just asking yourself, why are you using the app? And uh, Sarah Zyostra, who we had on the, well, we had both Chris Martin on the pod and, and Sarah Zyostra from the Gospel Coalition. And she talked about, you know, asking, why am I on social media? And when she talked to other people, which is a key, I think having discussions with other people about your digital addiction is a huge part of the process. And you need to do that. If you're not talking about it with other people, then what are you doing? Like, that's huge. But she talked about it with other people. And these girls said, I was using it in order to store my photos. Like Instagram was a storage facility for photos. And it's like, wait a second, you don't need a Instagram account to do that. And then, and then really what we get at, I think if I'm honest with myself, I end up reaching into those addictive tendencies because if I ask why, yeah, yeah, I just, I just want to learn. I just wanted that. No, you know what I really want? I want to be liked. Like mm -hmm. not just on the superficial level. Like I want love. That's what I yeah. really want. Yeah. I want recognition. I want meaning. I want worth. I want fulfillment. Like I want all that. That's what I want. And I think we've been lied to in our culture 
And Alan Noble unpacks this in his book, You Are Not Your Own. We've been lied to that we can find all those things in ourselves. We can find love, recognition, meaning, worth, fulfillment. We can find identity fully in ourselves. Just look inward. That's what that's what we're taught is just find it in yourself, believe in yourself, all that mantra. And I think we very quickly realize that's not true. That's not how you find all of those things. And so the first thing we do to start reaching out is to reach into our pocket. And then we say, social media, can you give me love? Well, it can only give me that superficial like, but that's enough of a reward to keep me hooked into that process that you described. It can't give me recognition, but it can give me just enough of a taste of it that, hey, someone shared my tweet. All right, maybe I am going to be more popular. Maybe I am going to be a thought leader, hashtag, whatever, you know, maybe I am going to feel more meaningful if I go on this device and something, some video gives me meaning or, or worth or whatever, or fulfillment that like, if if only that next YouTube video, after I watch that next YouTube video, that will make me feel, feel fulfilled. It's like sitting on that couch with a bowl of ice cream, right? And just being like, yeah. oh, just one more scoop, right? And And I think, yeah, we just need to be aware of what our deepest needs are. And I don't want to be trite and say, yeah, just find those in Jesus. It's that easy. There is, though, a truth in Augustine's famous quote of, we are restless until we find our rest in God. And I think it starts with rest for us. We need to fundamentally ask ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. Why do we exist? And say, my fundamental needs for love, recognition, meaning, worth, fulfillment. All of those are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it definitely starts with rest. I think and I I do want you kind of like to probably unpack it because I you've, I've heard you say it really well of like okay, like what does it mean? How do you do this rest? And like for me, it started with like yeah, disabling notifications, putting my phone into focus mode most of the time, and then creating that space so I was able to kind of like break some of those habits. And then like after that rest, be like, okay, how am I going to maybe like change the culture and even like find that reward in other things? I think it's really interesting that like there's another, I don't know, phrase like a, a you replace a God thing with a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe you wrote a really good article and you posted it and you got a good a bunch of likes and like that is good, but you've replaced what is the most ideal with something that is like second best. And that like pattern has happened to so many of us where we like end up being unfulfilled and depressed and lonely because we're not, you know, living up to our full potential and how we were meant to. So I think, you know, well, let's talk about changing the culture after. Like, yeah, what yeah. are your thoughts on rest? Yeah. Well, and let me just say that, like, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'm so addicted to tech and it's like, and you haven't talked to somebody, that's one of the things we need to do is just like text someone right now and say, hey, I'm struggling with digital addiction or I'm struggling with YouTube addiction. I've confessed that to, there's two guys that hold me accountable on things. And I told them like Twitter, I, I got to watch and I, yeah, I'm taking a month off, but then I'm going to see what happens after that. Um, but yeah, that gets to the point of holding accountable for taking those breaks so that the commitments are actually followed through on. So how do you rest? How do you do that? Um, and how do we avoid going into a big theological debate around how that commandment goes into the new Testament? Um, Let's just let's just say this that that 
God rested one and seven. The people of Israel rested one and seven. The early church seemed to still practice that, though Romans 14 would say that if you consider one day more valuable than another, maybe maybe that's not so, that's just an individual conviction thing, and you don't have to everyone hold that conviction. But I still think that one in seven taking rest is important. And rest comes out of finding that our worth, our, our meaning, our satisfaction in God first through justification before we we do work. Like we we normally think of work and rest backwards. We we think yeah. that we need to work hard and then we can rest. Whereas it's kind of the opposite from from an ancient Israelite perspective. It's like we rest and that's the start of the day. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the day we work. And so we need to kind of live out of our rest. Our our sanctification follows our justification, not the other way around. And and so just practically thinking about taking rest, um taking a break. Um, some people, they say, I think it was Andy Crouch, it's like, take one day off a week, one week off a month, one month off a year. And even if that, you hear that and you're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Why? Why? What's going on there? Because that will help you assess if it's a God thing or a good thing. Um, if it's, maybe there are some good reasons, but if you're like, write out your answers, don't just think about it, write them out. You get a sheet of paper and say, I am using X social media platform or X um, Netflix or whatever series. Like I am using that for these purposes and write it out and see if that even makes sense just to yourself. Um, Because I think we can believe lies and not even realize it. So yeah, so you so you take a break, you take you take those breaks and you take those in routine so that it's not so hard to take a break. So that, oh yeah, it's Sunday. I don't answer emails on Sunday. Like that's my rhythm. I don't mm-hmm. look at my phone. I don't I don't comment on Twitter. I don't get involved on things on that day, if that's what your commitment is. And it looks like taking breaks in your day too. Like not just working through your lunch or whatever, right? Yeah, which I'm like number one for doing that. Actually, my wife gets so mad because I like I just work through lunch every day. It's like partly. That's sin. You are currently confessing (laughs) sin right now. It is not just this light thing to joke about, Joel. Like, let's let's be real. Right now, you have sin in your life, and as your your brother in Christ, like, you do genuinely like need to work on that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And the funny thing, even though I know you just said it's not funny, (laughs) funny thing is, I will justify to myself, like you just said earlier, right, and being like. Oh, the company I work for, their headquarters is actually on the Pacific coast. So my lunch is there 9 a.m. So there's meetings and I like, you know, I just have to take meetings. And there's like, sure, there's like a grain of truth to that. Sure. But the real problem is like an inability for me to like take breaks and like create that boundary and like put breaks into my life. And I think, yeah, like it really was a good point you made where it's like we need to start with the rest and then do like you know the six days of work and it's like interesting even if you look at the calendar it's like is sunday the first day of the week or is it the seventh day of the week right yeah and i think if you do change that framing to be like hey out of this rest then i have like the ability to go and work and go and do things rather than like oh i'm burnt out and now i need to rest it will like change how you perceive a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've 
we fundamentally misunderstood a lot of things as Christians in the 21st century. We think of the creation account as fundamentally an argument about evolution, rather than understanding the creation account as about much more than that. And and I think we retell the story in our minds that humanity was created on day one, and then we helped God do the rest, instead of it being about God doing all this work. And then we are created on day six, which means the first full day for Adam and Eve was day seven. Mm. Like that, that's just a weird thing. And like, yeah, they were created to work. Work's important. Don't hear me saying that work's not important. As we go into an AI future, we need to hold to a conviction that work is still important. We can't just be lazy all the time. Anyways, but like this rest thing is is explicit. Like Jesus in Mark 6, 31 to 32, he's just taught, he's with the disciples, and he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. That's what we need to do. It's not that Jesus says here, get away by yourselves and pray and read the Bible. The the context is very clear. They need leisure. They need rest. They need a break. They need to get away by themselves. That's what God wants for us. And we treat God as a God of productivity rather than a God of love. We treat our lives as needing to accomplish more in less, rather than being more about love. Love is not efficient. Get up every day out of the rest you received the night before, and love, don't just be productive. Productivity is good, but we were not, we were, we were fundamentally made as God created us for love, for relationship. And Psalm 115, you know, we've talked about good things becoming a God thing. It unpacks idolatry. It unpacks this relationship to to idols of gold and silver. Um, And in our day, it's not gold and silver. I've said this before. It's like lithium and silicon, you know, and and it says that they, they who build them and trust in them become like them in the middle of Psalm 115. And, And we are becoming like machines. We think we should be more productive. We think we should have perfect memories. We think we should be all these types of things efficient, but not about love. And that's what we need to get up every day for, out of rest and for love. And I think that just redefines our entire lives. Not that it means you quit your job, do your job well, hard work, all that kind of stuff. But it's in the context of what's most important. Most important is 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 love. That's that's the that's the greatest commandment. That's what we need to do. Yeah. No, I think that's really it's really good to hear. You know, at the beginning of you know the week, it's like starting with that point and moving forward. And I think it'll let's see. I'm gonna, you know, put it to the test. Experiment. Experiment. Right. Like being being an engineer. That is something I'm gonna say. Is like yeah. Like you've heard this. And then just said, like, text someone, you know, connect with someone, believe in God's word, you know, you've been educated, but take an action, right? Take an action, rest, and try something different. And I think you'll you'll be surprised, right, with what can happen. At, I've changed a lot in the last year, and I can definitely say, not that I'm, like, addiction-free, but... 
my patterns have really changed and I still need to hear about like, Hey, like, yeah, like it comes back to starting with love and not being all about productivity because that is like a huge problem for me. Right. So yeah, I hope you guys are encouraged. Yeah. And just a site who I'm kind of riffing off of, uh, Kelly Capic, um, great author speaker, um, was at the conference that Joel and I were at and he, he kind of riffed on that same thing. And he wrote a book called You're Only Human, which is just an epic book. Um, so I highly recommend that book, You're Only Human by Kelly Capic in order to help us understand what it means to be humanity. Um, but yeah, going forward, like Joel said, take action acting your convictions. That's what we should all be doing. Um, and maybe it's little, little things. So like uh, just one example, I try on Twitter to not use the for you tab. I use the following tab, not, not being led by the algorithm, but by the people that I've explicitly chosen to follow. There's a difference between those two tabs on Twitter or on YouTube. Like if you're going to rely on the feed that it gives you the algorithm, when you first sign into YouTube, instead of clicking on subscriptions, Okay, well then, are you curating that? You know, if it's like a wolf that is is dangerous, which I think it is, Chris Martin makes that point, I think we need to train that wolf. And so for me, I like had to click X on and say, do not like this. You know, I don't like these types of things. I need to train that YouTube algorithm mm-hmm. so that it gives me the content that I want um, and and kind of feed it the data it needs in order to give me a better algorithm. But I think algorithm heavy, an, an algorithm heavy social media diet um, is almost inevitably destructive for most people. I'd, I'd really think, and I think um, that's why Be Real and other um, social media apps are still doing well because they're staying away from that algorithmic driven approach. Um, hmm. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. At this point, You've listened to you've listened to us talk about it. You've listened to like some of how this works. I love how you made the point, Joel, of like think about the cue, think about that. What was the routine? Routine, routine, and then reward. I was going to say rhythm, but like cue, routine, reward, and so think about replacing each one of those and setting up new cycles in your life, so yeah. that. Like for me, teaching people the Bible is like, it turns into a really good cue, routine, that sort of thing. I am often motivated to study more once I get into an opportunity to teach, and then it makes me go deeper. And so there's, yeah, there's different cues that you can set up in your life. You can join a small group and that can be a cue to study more. Um, Anyways, we'll, we'll end it here. Thank you for listening to WWJT. What would Jesus tech? And yeah, would Jesus get addicted? No. Would he take rest? absolutely yeah one in seven he did not come to abolish the law but fulfill it so what would jesus do he would he would fulfill the law and the law in the ten commandments clearly states remember the sabbath you know by keeping it holy and by by resting by giving even your cattle a break so uh that was was part of the command too but anyways (laughs) thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time this has been what would jesus do no, what would Jesus tech? My name's Andrew. My name is Joel. Take care. Then redo redo the outro. No, we'll just leave it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just stumble on these things sometimes. Um, no, yeah. <laughs>